Once again, we're so glad that you're here, and we have a capacity crowd in this place. Praise the Lord. There may or may not be a few Baptist folks that walk in late. If they do, everybody turn and look at them. No, don't do that. But if perhaps you see somebody that doesn't have a seat and you have something next to you or your family could scoot left or scoot right and make room for them, please be sure and do that today. A couple of weeks ago, one of our church families went to Vermont to check out the changing of the fall colors. And so there were yellows and reds and oranges, just beautiful pictures, looked like one of God's masterpiece paintings. While they were there, they went to an ice cream shop, and they sent me this picture. I'll try to move so y'all can see the screen. And here's what the picture looked like. They say, check out this new flavor of the month at the ice cream shop. Broccoli cheddar chunk. Broccoli ice cream with kidney bean chunks and a cheddar cheese swirl. And if you read down even in the fine print, it really says the things that are in there. Like it says, you know, sugar cream, broccoli puree, kidney bean concentrate, cheddar concentrate. And so I'm a positive person. And I try to always think of something good to say. And in this moment, the only word that came to my mind was gross. That sounds terrible. And the only thing I was thankful for was that I was not in that place to have to try that ice cream. And so then they sent back that it was just a joke, that they put that up there for people to laugh or get to thinking. Then they had normal ice cream flavors. The truth is, though, sometimes in life, it's really difficult to think about something that you're thankful for when you're going through a hardship. And when you're in a circumstance where the pain won't ease up, and you don't have the answers, and you're in God's waiting room, and you're about as thankful as Chad was to be sitting next to Zach the talker in the waiting room going, I just want to get out of here. Sometimes our mind becomes so clouded, and our hearts become so hard, we say, I'm not sure I'm even thankful for anything right now. This morning, we continue our waiting room series, and we're going to look at three things that James reminds us of that we always can be thankful for regardless of our circumstance. If you have your Bibles, if you have your phone, if not, words are always here on our screen. We're gonna be in James chapter five today. We're gonna look at verses seven through 12. James five, seven through 12. First thing that we can always be thankful for is this. This is only temporary. Earlier I mentioned our pups and getting them to bed last night. So for years, we've had two dogs, and I've used them in some of our illustrations. We have a boxer named Molly, and then we have a pug named Melon. And so Melon was one I was looking for last night. Molly's always with Mama. Melon's always sleeping somewhere. A couple of months back, my daughter decided that she needed, notice that word I used there, needed a miniature dapple dash hound. And I haven't talked about her yet, and so today let me introduce you to a picture of our newest four-legged friend. This is Mabel. Yeah, I know what you're thinking. She looks real cute, right? And she can be, but she can also be a holy terror. So let me tell you about Mabel, who I lovingly refer to as Baby Doggy. Baby Doggy chooses to go to the restroom whenever and wherever she would like to. We've done positive reinforcement. We've done physical reinforcement. We've done all things. Baby doggy does not care. She goes to the bathroom wherever she wants to. Baby doggy also likes to chew 
on everything. And so I've tried to help baby doggy understand, this is your toy, chew on this. Don't chew on shoes, right? Chewing on a bone, that's good. Chewing on me, that's bad. Don't do that no more. So my wife, in her infinite wisdom, went and bought the indestructible bone. That's what it's advertised as. This bone cannot be destroyed. It will last forever. And she gave it to baby doggy. And in about three minutes and 12 seconds, baby doggy had it looking like this. This is not a Great Dane. This is not a Rottweiler or a Doberman Pinscher. This is not a 200-pound bull mastiff. This is a four-pound baby doggy, and she destroyed the bone. This bone was supposed to last forever. Obviously, it was not as good as it was advertised. Sometimes, though, we anticipate things to last forever, but they don't. That's one of the truths that James reminds us of, that we can always be thankful because whatever situation you're walking through, whatever hardship that you're having in your life, sometimes we feel that same way, this is gonna last forever. I'm going to be here for the rest of my life in this waiting room, and I don't know how much longer I can take this, but the truth is, everything we walk through on this side of eternity is always temporary. James begins in chapter one, let me give you a recap, to be good stewards of God's words, it's we're gonna be in chapter five. He begins by saying, count it all joy, my brothers, for all the trials that you walk through in this life, because your trials, they build up your perseverance, they put you to the test, they make your faith stronger. Be hearers and doers of the word. Faith without works is dead. Be cautious with the words that you use, because what comes out of your mouth originates in your heart. Seek wisdom from above, resist the devil, draw near to God, live every day as though it is your last. This is a summary of the first four chapters. He gives a warning to the rich and says, listen, if the most important thing in your life is gold and possessions and wealth, and you value that more than anything else, to the point you're willing to mistreat, abuse, and persecute your workers, your slaves, and others for your own selfishness, you need to beware. And then he gives this, James 5, verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until he receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Be patient. We don't like that word because patient usually means to wait. This last Wednesday night, that's what our kids' lesson was on, and our kids' wing was about waiting and patient. Try to teach that to kindergartners. And yet sometimes we're just as impatient as young children are. Being patient means this morning you were ready to go and head up here at 8.15, but you had to wait till 9.45 for your wife or your husband or your kids or your grandkids because they is slow like molasses. Being patient means you made that order three months ago and it was supposed to be here in two weeks and you're still waiting on it. Being patient means I'm waiting for something that I want to happen. For 42 years, I've been waiting for Brussels sprouts to taste like macaroni and cheese. And I'm still waiting. It hadn't happened yet. 
We don't like to wait. So here it says, be patient. But this isn't just a sitting and being idle. This is an active verb, meaning that we are being intentional. Be patient. Brothers, he's writing to the church. He's writing to those of faith. For the coming of the Lord is at hand. Remember, these writers and the disciples, they believed Jesus was coming back. Like in their lifetime, like it may be days, weeks, months, or years, but we're going to see the coming of the Lord, and that's been 2,000 years, and yet still today we go, I'm pretty sure it's going to happen any day now. Have you looked around? Surely it's coming soon, and it may be tomorrow, or it may be another 10,000 years. We don't know, but be patient, brothers, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Be like the farmer as he waits for the rains. So as the farmer would plant, there would always be a good rain that would come in the fall that would soften the ground, and then they'd have to wait for the rain that would come in the spring right before harvest time. I've never been a farmer, but this is what I know to be true. Farmers battle a lot of external circumstances that they have absolutely zero control over. If it rains too much, the crops are going to die. If it doesn't rain enough, they're going to dry up. If the sun's too hot, they're going to burn up. If the frost comes too fast, they're going to freeze up. There's a lot of external circumstances he has nothing to do with, and no farmer plants a crop and expects it to pop up the next day. And so a farmer is a man or woman of patience, knowing that the fruit that is to come is worth the wait. I don't know what you're walking through in your life. I don't know what your circumstance or your waiting room experience is. I don't know the pain that you want to escape from. I don't know the pressure that you are under, but this is what I do know. Everything in this life is temporary. It's gonna pass one day, but until then, God says we have to be patient and prepare our hearts, which means that we plant seeds of scripture, we plant seeds of hopefulness, we plant seeds of faith, and we plant seeds that say, I know and I'm willing to trust that whatever I walk through in this life absolutely has a purpose and I can trust God. So like the farmer, I'm gonna go through seasons of drought and rain, seasons of sun and warmth and seasons of darkness and cold, but I'm gonna be patient till the very end because I know the fruit is worth the wait. Maybe that's the phrase you need today. This is only temporary. You can be thankful for that. Number two, this is an opportunity. Verse nine, do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Now listen, preacher, I understand this about what he's saying about being patient, like the farmer in the struggles, but why is he talking about grumbling? If you think about human nature and people that you know, we have a tendency that when we're hurting and when we're suffering, when we're down, when we're depressed, we tend to show our ugly a little bit more than we would when things are going well. Years ago, I read a book called Hurt People, Hurt People by Dr. Sandra Wilson. This is a truth that if you don't know, you need to know. When we are suffering and hurting and enduring and being persecuted, when we're in the waiting room, we often need some way to lash out and release, and that usually ends up being towards the people that we love and care for the most. And so we ask this question, why are they being so mean? Why are they being so hateful? And 99% of the time it's because they're hurting and they have to let that go somewhere. So what does that have to do with the farmer? The farmer doesn't argue and fight, bicker. Why not? Because two reasons. Number one, 
the farmer's too busy. Farmers don't gripe and complain because they got too much work to do. They work from sun up to sun down, so they don't have time for that kind of business. And so if we would be as busy working for the kingdom as the farmer, we wouldn't have any time to be able to gripe or to complain. And number two, he says, don't do bad things against your neighbor because the farmer, as our example, is above and beyond good to their neighbors. And so they say, let me use this opportunity to help my neighbor in any way that I can. Philippians 2 says, do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, hold fast to the world of life, and in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. And he says, this is not a suggestion. This is not just an idea. It says, hey, it'd probably be a good idea that when you're in the hardest days of your life, don't grumble and fight amongst each other. He says, I'm telling you, don't do this. If you're doing it, two words, remember these, stop it. Because the judge is standing at the door. So that's the image of God, the judge, who's gonna hold us accountable, being right outside that door and his hands on the handle, and he's turning it slowly. And any moment he's coming in the courtroom, and you're gonna be held accountable. Verse 10, as an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Okay, I get it, farmers go through hard situations, but I'm not a farmer. I don't identify with farmers, and so I don't really understand that. He goes, well, then how about this picture? If you need to know about how to be thankful, how to be patient in the midst of suffering, take a look at the prophets. Well, I know the prophets were there with Jesus. I know they walked with him, and they experienced the miracles, and they learned from Jesus, but did they ever really experience the same kind of suffering and hurt and shame and waiting room time that I'm walking through? Because listen, what I'm going through is pretty bad. I'm not sure they could really identify with my kind of pain. Well, let's see what they walk through. Hebrews 11, 32. And what more shall we say? For a time would fail me to tell about Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith, this is the winds, conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouth of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their den by resurrection. But can they identify with pain and suffering? Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. That's not a metaphor. That literally means they was cut in half. They were killed with a sword. They went about in skins of sheep and of goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in the deserts and the mountains and in dens and the caves of the earth. He says, here's an example of what patience and faithfulness looks like. And this isn't to diminish what you're walking through. It's not to say, okay, well, listen, I thought I had it bad, but I don't have it that bad. But instead to say, look at these examples of faith of men and women who were cut in half, and yet still they were faithful to the very end, and they were patient and suffering, and they never doubted of whether or not God's grace was sufficient for them. Verse 11, behold, we consider those blessed whom remained steadfast. 
You have heard the steadfastness of Job. You have seen the purpose of the Lord and how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. So you can look at the farmer and see patience and suffering. You can look at the disciples and the apostles and see patience and suffering. You can look at Job and you can see patience and suffering and that God works out all things for good. When we're in the midst of the waiting room in the hardest days of our life, our natural tendency is to cover our heads and hide in a hole. Woe is me. This is the worst of the worst. And James says, don't do that. He says, get up and wipe the tears from your eyes. Wash your face. And then you need to see this as an opportunity. Preacher, you don't know what I'm going through. I don't. But I know that Job saw what he walked through as an opportunity to bring glory to God. And the disciples saw that whatever suffering they were called to go through was an opportunity to show how much they trusted and wanted to serve Jesus. And the farmer has the opportunity to show God that he trusts him more than he trusts the farmer's almanac. And so whatever you walk through, you have an opportunity to do two things. Number one, to show God that regardless of sunshine and rain, cold or heat, you're going to trust him and you're going to be patient in the process. You have the opportunity at the moment of your suffering to shift your focus from your circumstance to ways you can bless and help someone else. That's what the farmer would do. There'll never be a moment in your life when you step away from your hurt and your suffering, your confusion and your pain, your depression, and choose to help someone else above and beyond that you will not walk away from that feeling better about what you're going through. So maybe that's what God needs you to hear today. You need to stop grumbling, and you need to stop fighting with those around you. You need to stop hurting the ones that love you the most, and you need to ask God to show you who you can help even though you're in the midst of the hardest days of your life because that's going to change your perception, and it's going to change your attitude. You need to ask God how you can make the most of this opportunity even though you feel like you're in the shadow of the valley of death to shine bright in the darkest of places. Things to be thankful for. This is temporary. This is an opportunity. Number three, this moment matters. Verse 12. But above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes, your no be no, that you may not fall under condemnation. Now, it's easy to read this and go, okay, listen, I was with you, talking about being patient and suffering, how we should serve the Lord, we should be griping and fighting with each other. These are all opportunities. But now he's talking about swearing, and swearing means saying bad words. And preacher, I don't want to tell you this, but I'm the church member that has the T-shirt that says, I love Jesus, but I cuss a little. Don't amen that. And so the swear here doesn't mean you're using four-letter words. Swear means like I swear by this or I'm pledging an oath. So it was common in this day and time that if a person wanted to seem even more trustworthy, then they would say, well, I swear this, right, by the hair of my chinny-chin-chin. I swear this on my grandpappy's farm. I put this oath down on my children's life. And if they were to add that to it, then it seemed to have more gumps, right? More unction, more trustworthiness, because there's more to the pot than just what you're saying. You're swearing, you're making an oath. And there's different opinions about why this is sectioned here. Some say it's the beginning of his wrap-up, his conclusions. They're saying, don't swear by oaths. Pray prayers of faith. If someone wanders, help them come back in. 
But I think here's the reason why God puts this in this. Here's the reason he led James to write this. If you remember the moment, and maybe you're in it now, maybe it was last year, maybe it was last week, when you had a pain that wouldn't go away, and you would do anything to get away from that. You had a test result, you're waiting to come back, and you would do anything to get a good result. You have a situation in life that just will not cease, and you can't take it anymore. Our tendency is that we begin to make promises and oaths, and we swear to God, if he will just fix this, we would do anything. Lord, if you'll just take this pain away, I'll become a monk, and I'll pray 24 hours a day the rest of my life. God, if you'll just fix this situation, I promise I'll memorize the Bible by the end of the year. God, if you'll just help me this one more time, I promise and I swear I'll never ask you for anything ever again. And we make these promises and these swears and these oaths, and then we fail to follow through. And maybe that's what God needs you to hear today is that you made a vow to me that you're not honoring you made a promise, and you swore, and yet you have walked away from that, and God wants you to return back to your promise because he's never broken his promises to you. So let your yes be yes, and let your no be no, and don't make promises or swear to God you're going to do things in the midst of the valley that you forget about once you get back up on top of the mountain. A few weeks ago, I had some blood work done, just normal, check your blood. You go back in, they say everything's fine, you're fat, lose weight, you'll feel better. So I go in on a Friday, they take my blood. Monday, I was at my house, I was working in the office, working on my sermon for Sunday, and the doctor's office calls, hello, Mr. Walters. Yes, ma'am. How are you feeling? Are you okay? Well, I was, <laughs> until you called to dress me like that. Yeah, I'm fine. I'm sitting here at the desk. Okay, well, listen, your blood work came back, and it is messed up. You have this one level that is off the charts high. You may be having a stroke or a heart attack. Well, that's not good news. I said, okay. Well, I feel okay. What would you like me to do? You need to go to the hospital immediately. Have your blood tested again so we can find out if this is true. No, I'm busy right now. How about tomorrow? Well, okay, if you feel all right. Yeah, it's fine. I called my wife. Babe, doctor called. They said I may be having a stroke or a heart attack. Go to the hospital, but I got a lot to do. I'll probably do that tomorrow. So after she verbally assaulted me, <laughs> I called them back, said, hey, I'm on my way. Got to the hospital, got my blood work done. I'm driving back home, and, you know, I didn't know if it would be a long time or an hour before I'd find out, so I get back home. And people react differently. And so in our family, we have had some situations where people have passed away from high potassium. That was my bad blood. I had really high potassium. And so there's a reason to be concerned about that, and I'm not making light of it. But I usually react to stressful situations by making light of it and by joking. And so I get back home from the given blood. My wife's there, and she's pretty upset. And I say, you know, babe, if this is my last night on earth... I sure would like it if you'd be happy and not be upset. And then I'd say, I guess I'll go back in the office and work on my sermon now. 
unless you think I'm not going to be here Sunday to preach because I'm going to glory before then. What's for dinner tonight, babe? I hope it's good. It might be one of my last meals on earth. See, I thought that was funny too. She did not. She found no humor in that whatsoever. A couple days later, a couple days later, they call and say, hey, it was just a lab error. Everything's fine. Praise the Lord. Everybody reacts differently when they're in the waiting room. Sometimes we laugh. Sometimes we cry. Sometimes we're anxious. Sometimes we have peace. Here's what James reminds us of what we can be thankful for when we're in the waiting room. This is only temporary. Life is going to be hard. But Jesus is coming back. And he's going to take us home. So whatever we have to walk through before then, it's worth it. I promise. This is an opportunity not to fight and not to lash out at others, but to remember the focus of our lives must be living in his presence by his purpose, which means that even in the midst of the hardship and the pain, every moment matters. And when you've reached your limit, when you feel like you can't do anything more, you can't go on any further, don't make promises to God that you don't plan on keeping. Trust that he is right there in the waiting room with you. Be patient and be thankful.